Hi, I'm Ulysses, and you are listening to Music, Meaning, and Mystery Podcast. This podcast is a pilgrimage to the meaning and mystery of music, and it seems we've picked up some new listeners lately. I'm glad to have you along. We've got many excellent episodes coming up. We'll have an interview with R&B musician Leah Keeley, who managed to keep her open mic project going during the COVID restrictions in her area. It's a very inspirational story about how music is of primary importance to people's lives. We also have a very interesting discussion about the ethnomusicology of the ancients' perspective on music coming up. We have many more episodes lined up. Looking forward to sharing them with you all. Today we have a conversation with Paula Kimper. Paula is a composer, and you can find her music online at both her website and YouTube channel, which are linked in the show notes. So tell me why you believe music comes from the spirit world. Well, because where, where does it come from? Do you have an answer? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to figure out. I know, right? <laughs> we, yeah. we don't know. It's like yeah. saying, is there a God or not? I sure think there's a higher power doing stuff because the alignments and the signals, the signs, the creations, yeah. that's not random. So it's the same with music. I mean, since I was a little kid, I, I just hear music in my head. That's what made me a musician. I, it's not that I did it. That's something I had to recognize as a gift and a responsibility. And my mother played the piano. My grandmother played the piano. Um, so there's a lineage there. And so they knew as a child, I needed to be trained. But it wasn't because I, I learned, didn't learn it to create it. It was just already there. And I learned it to manage, manage it and use it and ride it and serve it, all the things. It seems like you, it's not so much that you chose that career, but you surrendered to it. Yeah, I accepted the responsibility. There was a, I could do anything. I have a lot of gifts and I could do, every time I do something, people are like, oh, wow, you could have a new career doing that. And I'm like, I got one. <laughs> One's enough. Yeah. yeah. One, is, one is already multifaceted enough. It's, it's uh, everything. I do have another job. I do grant writing because I didn't want to turn my music into just a money making thing. It's pretty much never made me much money. Did So in your journey with music and your relationship to it, uh, in performing it and teaching people and um, and maybe listening to it, have you had experiences that you would describe as, as contact with a non-material world? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. I mean, I also studied shamanism. I know that you're interested in that. I took... Uh... I took training from Michael Harner, actually, who wrote the book about shamanism that kind of introduced it to the Western world. You know, back in the, when was that? <laughs> the, the late 80s and the early 90s. And um, so I've been trained as a shaman, and I understand the similarity between the two because of the rhythmic drive, which creates altered states. I mean, it's as simple as that, and that's what music does. It's more subtle, perhaps, and people aren't as conscious of, oh, that music I'm hearing over there is altering my state because we hear it everywhere. We hear music and it's not always quality music and we're not paying attention. But when you pay attention and you, that's the thing that's happening, it, it alters you. I, I'm a composer. I didn't know if you knew that. 
Yes. Um, and I've written operas. So an opera is like a whole world that you create with sound and words as well to tell a story if you want. But the sound world has its own genetic makeup where things all relate to each other and tell the story basically in sound. Take you to another world, literally. That music is about going to that other world to me. So I'd be interested in if you told me some of the decision-making process that you've you've gone through to compose specifically with sounds, because I think you're not talking about notes, you're talking about sounds. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to tell me a little bit more about that. Well, sound, sound is just a better word for it. I mean, notes is just one part of sound. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, there's the, the stuff that's underneath it, the emotional part, the dynamics, the range, the, intention and with opera because there's words there's all all that language Mm. which is all part of the sound and but enhanced because someone's singing it with a big voice right and it's not just you and me talking it's you and me (laughs) or whatever you know right so dramatic It's it's bigger than life yeah because it's trying to communicate some cathartic emotional transformation Hmm. you know that's basically the way i think about it i'm not really making decisions about the music i mean i am on one level but i'm mostly listening i just listen listen and i'm I'm transcribing what i hear and then i listen to what other people say about it like oh if this was just a little bit like that maybe it would be easier i'm like great let's do it and then i listen again and when i'm composing i do many many drafts of things and I, i don't consider anything really finished until I don't want to change any of it. But as I'm like playing through something, I'm da, 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 da. No, that's wrong. No, change it. And if I can let it go all the way through without any changes, I'm like, okay. The, the reflection of what I think is what the sound is I'm hearing. Fascinating. It's almost like the music's already there. You just have to find your way to it. That's what I'm saying. It's its, its own world. It is the spiritual world or whatever, the invisible world, the spirit world. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But there's music there, and I've always been hearing it. And in your training in in shamanism, can you tell me how you've used music in that profession and how how it's similar and differs from your training as a composer of opera? It's a different function, that's all. Shamanic, it's not really music for shamanic Hmm. procedures, rituals. It's an incantation or a spell or a, a ceremony, a ritual. Those are better words for it. Because the beating of the drum, the playing of the rattles, the flutes, whatever, it's more of an evocation. Playing music has a different intent. You know, when I have a piece of music for you, it's going to begin, it's going to have this part, it's going to end, and whatever happens in it's about that. It's not about creating some other, and, you know, introducing you to some other mind mind state for healing or for for, uh, knowledge gathering like that. It's more subtle, I think. You know, the music is doing that on one level. It is invoking and starting the ritual, but it's just, hmm. my compositions I don't think of as shamanic uh, healing practices. I'd like to ask you about the history of opera. Can you tell me roughly where and when it originated? It was basically 15 and 1600s in Italy. All Western music basically started in Italy because they are the first people to write it down. The monks and everybody were writing down the chants of the church 
And then the whole secular part of music broke off from the church and started making concerts and operas and pieces of music that weren't church music. So from then on, these different styles of performances started to begin their history and, and gain momentum. And the, so the, the original use of opera would have been like a non-church use, is that right? Absolutely. It was probably court entertainment because musicians and composers and everybody were all you know servants of whatever court they could be if they could be in the medicis they were really lucky you know yeah yeah michelangelo is like okay the medicis want me to do that sistine chapel thing okay right right you're set yeah yeah you're set and uh, you know leonardo da vinci and those guys they they worked for the kings and the people who had money patronage was a big thing then it's not so much now the famous composer haydn he worked for kings he lived in the castle and he wrote music for all their performances and you know, parties and dances and weddings, whatever it took. Okay, there's something I, I kind of want to untangle here because it strikes me as there was a, a shift in the way humans used music sort of in general when music kind of stepped out of the church. Uh, up until then, music was used as a means of making contact and then it got removed from that context and music was used for its own sake, almost. I think you could say that. Yeah. yeah. Now, where does the shamanic use of music fit in all that? Is it more like the churchy kind of a thing where it's supposed to put you in contact with something? Or is it something outside of that whole scheme? Hmm. That's a good question. Now, all music does alter your, your state. So... Shamanic music does that, shamanic, you know, sound does that. And, um, you know, Western music, for its own sake, is one of the big things, like symphonies. Why do you need a symphony? It's not for somebody, any, for any actual event, other than sitting in the concert hall listening to the symphony, listening to these great players play this, this imagined world by this composer. So yeah. that is for its own sake. But it's still altering your, your physiology in some way or another. And even the basic, if it's really like fast music, it speeds you up and slow music slows you down. Yeah. Happy music makes you feel happy and sad music <laughs> makes you feel sad and cry. And all of these states can be evoked. So we almost can't take music out of the church, metaphorically speaking, in that there's no avoiding that it puts you in touch with some form of magic. Well, I don't know. If it's always putting you in touch with magic, because there's like music that I don't like, for instance, yeah. like some sort of really, really grungy, heavy metal or whatever stuff that yeah. doesn't appeal to me. I'm like that. That's putting me in a bad mood. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm not going there. <laughs> you know? Maybe it's just magic for those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. They love it. They love to go there, like yeah. you know, with all that goth stuff with yeah. black and all. I, I'm not into that, so I don't go there. I'm not fond of hip hop, but people love it. Yeah. Yay. I've been thinking a lot about that um, music because uh, you will change your emotional state. Mm -hmm. Even music you don't like, listening to it will change your emotional state. You know, that's right. some sort of aversion or, or, or repulsion, right? Right. And, and um, the emotional state wasn't there before. So where where does it come from? I, I, and right. I've been reading about ecstasy, which is a, te a shamanic technique. Uh, um, there's mm -hmm. one book I read specifically makes the link between ecstatic 
states or altered mm-hmm. states and shamanism. So, and then I did some research on the word ecstasis and the ecstasis mm-hmm. means outside of you. So the, and then I thought like on a very, like you're saying, like very basic level, it puts you in touch with something that wasn't in you to begin with. <laughs> so it's, yeah, that's sort of what I mean. Like it, you almost can't avoid, but being in touch with something kind of strange yeah. when you listen to music. Yeah. It brings like, it brings other things into the room, no matter what you do. Like I have just at hand here, I have this wonderful little instrument that's like a, like a coil in a, in a head and oh, yeah. a, in just a chamber, you know, nice and then you do this. It's a thunder sound. Huh. And that, uh, oof, I get chills. Yeah, yeah same here. Yeah. yeah, wow. That kind of thing. I mean, that's what I mean. That's like, whoa. My huh. cat hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because to your cat, perhaps you appear as some sort of thunder summoning goddess or something <laughs> well, at least for that moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah your cat prefers you as a as a food summoning goddess yeah <laughs> instruments all around because that's what helps i always had that this phrase in my mind instruments instruments like me (laughs) i listen and respond i can i i picked up um you know as many instruments as i could ever get my hand on and to just to try them i love instruments i've built instruments um because i want to hear what the sound is you like oh here's one of my favorites let me go okay this is fun appears to be a stringed instrument in a box in a box with a with a lid some sort of lid so there are perhaps eight, eight strings is that it at this point there's six because okay. a couple of them broke with two sound holes yeah it's not fretted so nope. it's a, yeah. just the strings are just between the two frets right two uh, bridges and then you put it in the window, what? and when a, a big gust of wind goes by, it makes the vibrates the strings. And it's no like, way! Yeah, what? I'm gonna try it here because like I've got the windows. Okay, so you just like rest it on the windowsill. See, we'll see what happens. Yeah, like, we'll see if uh, the wind. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, hopefully that uh, we, we we are we are deemed worthy of this of this uh, of this instrument. Let's talk about money then. Is is it more difficult to make news, money in music than in general? Do you think? Good question. You know, some people make money, but um, if you're an opera composer, <laughs> right. you're, you're in a genre that's first of all very small and has a lot of competition for what a composer would receive, which is a commission by an opera house to write an opera. And once you've written an opera, then you have an opera and you, that's published and you can sell it. But you have to get that a first commission to really get going. And it's, a, it's kind of a trend 
in America that people want to commission your first opera and not necessarily your second, third, or fourth opera. So I've written four operas. Three of them were commissioned. The second one I did myself, and I couldn't get anybody to do it, perform it, because you need that kind of imprimatur of the big company that backed you with big money and all that. So that's that's an opera composer's plate. Right. And so if I wrote pop songs and had a band, and maybe I'd make millions. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. anymore because everything's on the internet. And you can't charge for it. What in Spotify you get point zero 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 one five for for selling a tune or whatever. So okay. So how about this? This is something I've been struggling with. How does one measure the value of music when it is not paid for? It's not about money, <laughs> you know. And even an opera commission, what they're paying you for is the time you're spending and the meetings you go to and all the things you have to do over four three or four years of time to make it happen, they're not really, they can't really buy the music. They're put, they're, they're paying for the conditions in which 50 people can get together and make something over time, which is expensive. But I, I don't think it's really like saying that the music has a monetary value. Meaning in commercial music, that's what they do. They say, you know, if you're going to use that Beatles song, you're going to have to pay this much because it's so famous and it's giving you all that magic. But the thing is, today, the population of the world is like four times more than when I was born. And look at all the kids out there just making stuff every day. They're making, making, making stuff. The TikTok, the, all the influencers and the social media. And, you know, they're everywhere. And they can all just, you know, make a movie. Yes. <laughs> got the, all the tools at once yes. in the phone. It's not like I'm going to compete with that. I, I have to be just myself and do bring out what I hear and what I value. When people go to the the opera, what do you think they're ultimately seeking as 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 a, an opera experience? I mean, we could just say theater, which is the overarching idea there. They're going to the theater, and theater is the place where you want to have a transformational experience in the company of others. It's my, my feeling about it. I love the theater. You know, it doesn't have to even be an opera. But opera is bigger than life. And so the, that cathartic experience is sometimes way more emotional and way more over the top. Yeah. Do you think there's something of a desire to, to kind of step outside of your own life? There's something of oh, that in there? Absolutely. Like when yeah. you go to a movie, you know, you want to go <laughs> watch a movie where somebody, you know, jumps out of a plane and have that kind of feeling. But I'm never jumping out of a plane. Hmm. So, you know. <laughs> the shaman. Oh, was, was that the? Oh no, was that your phone or the instrument? Sorry. <laughs> I thought it might have been that instrument. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of getting putting together a picture a little bit of the the shamanic training, the opera training, and uh, and then your kind of obsession with instruments. Maybe I'm trying to force it into it, it, like a one kind of box so that I can make it work for myself. But kind of, I kind of trying to find the like the common thread. I guess the common thread is music, obviously. Yeah. 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 And you say opera, but that's just one. That those are just my my large works are operas. But I've done dance music. I've done theater music. I've done concert music. I've done written a ton of songs. 
and art song, I guess you would call it, mm. and, uh, you know, film scores. That's kind of a pastiche of, well, what what can I do now to try to make some money? If I can do film scores, but, you know, as a woman in the 80s in New York, no women were writing film scores. No women were writing operas. No women were writing theatrical music. It was a, it was a pioneering time to try to figure out, you know, how to make a career as a woman. And right. now there's all of these initiatives that are helping young women, and that's fantastic. And I feel like my work had a part of that, uh, that blazing that trail for them, and I'm really, really proud of that. But the opportunities to really get higher up in the music business were not really that available at that time. All right, right. It's starting. Can you hear that? I can hear it slightly, yeah. It's just slight. Unless you get a gust, but that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's pull on that thread then. Um, uh, you feel like kind of you've been able to be part of a, a, of a legacy of, of women, uh, yeah. which from my lens, I would call the, the, the women's mystery. So tell me about why that is, that is especially gratifying for you. When I was a kid, I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. You know, and I didn't have a gender bias about it. And I had three older brothers. And I could see clearly that they had a certain availability of options that I did not. You know, and I, I grew up in the time I had to wear a dress to school. My mom would always say, you're not being very ladylike. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a lady. I want to. I wanted to play sports and I want to run around and climb trees. And I wanted to play the trumpet and I wanted to do all kinds of things just because... I wanted to, not because I was a girl or a boy, you know. So I did continuously break those barriers. I did play the trumpet, and I was um, quite good at it. And then I went to, on to school playing trumpet, but then I studied composition because there was nowhere to study composition when I was a kid. People would, I would say, I want to be a composer, and they'd say, what is that? You know, hmm. what is that? You mean you want to teach music? They couldn't get it that anybody alive today was actually writing music. So I continued to do that my whole life. You know, I'm going to try this next thing. I'm going to try this next thing. You know, women weren't conductors. I tried that. Women weren't theatrical composers or opera composers. Did you get like a thrill from from doing that? Like trying to like being a mold breaker? Or was that, this just... that feeling has only come later now that I see that the mold has broken. And I certainly didn't do it by myself. But it was part of the just inner satisfaction of I, I want to do what I want, which is play the trumpet. So I'm going to be really good at playing the trumpet. Hmm. And, you know, the rest of you, now I, I look around and most of the orchestras are, they have girl trumpet players. Yay. <laughs> That's how it feels now. It's like, wow, look at that. So do you feel connected to this community of women now that's like in, in general uh, from having been able to, um, kind of spearheads yeah I'm, I'm connected to a lot of women so it's good to be part of it part of the community and not and not only that but the lesbian gay um transgender movement community uh, because my first opera is a, about a couple of women together it's okay. a romantic story and they they kiss and they go off to make a life together and it's it's considered the first lesbian opera pretty much there hasn't been one since but the next generation of composers are all really interested in it and are starting to write 
stories that talk about that. Well, there's that an option there now. Yeah. yeah, that other yeah. genders and other other experiences. Of, um, so that I'm really proud of that as well. It just strikes me from what you told me about the history, history of opera, that it would make sense as a form to tell that story. Yeah. Because, yeah, it is the story. It, it is a story of specific people. That's how that story struck me when I found it. And I was like, oh, that would make a good opera. Does that have a spiritual uh, aspect to it? Or is this strictly just like a personal thing for you? Or Yes, it, it, of course it has a spiritual part of it. It has a literal spiritual part in that there's a very religious family as opposed to a very unreligious family. And that's where the drama is between the two women. Oh. And then there's the other part where once they fall in love, they want to live their dreams. And right. that's really the main message of this, live your dreams. And that way it's spiritual. And this, this particular story had um, a background with the author. The author, I don't know, channeled one of the women in the story who was a real woman who lived and was a folk art painter. She went into the Green Mountains, which are in the Catskills of New York State, and she researched her, and she could feel her there, and she uncovered the story about her life, and then began to write this novel based on it, and it was really felt like she was in communication with that person, Marianne Wilson. Wow. So there has that spiritual side that this story was being told to me to have a life in this world. Oh, wow. It's deep. That story had to be told in some manner, right? And it's yeah. now it's it's even beyond you. It's there and can be discovered. And well, thank you for telling me that story. You're welcome. <laughs> All because of music, because because music uh, was flowing through you as a child. Yeah. Is there anything that um, you would have liked me to ask about that I didn't think of, or something that I maybe forgot? to mention or well i'll just say a little bit about my current project i'm setting song of myself which is a gigantic poem by walt whitman and um there are 52 individual sections in the poem and it's it's a lot a lot of words as you can imagine i feel in touch with whitman i feel like i am communicating with him directly in this experience, you know, whether that's true or not, or whether, but a lot of people feel that about him. And I feel that his great work helped to establish him in the other world. Like a lot of great people worked hard enough in their life to build enough of a soul that they exist in that invisible world. You know, and, and I've been to psychics and they'll say, oh, Mr. Ravel is here to, to, to speak with you. And I'm like, okay, Mr. Ravel, great. Or Benjamin Franklin finds you very interesting, you know. Like, so th if these, you know, beings uh, exist in some form in the other world, then I feel that is true of Walt Whitman. I've always loved his work since I was a kid. This is like the opposite of an opera because these are being all set for just a singer by themselves initially. And I call it poetry singing. The idea of taking the poem and just elevating it to that next level with music and to open it up, to open that world up for whoever's hearing it. And it's, and it's had a quite a good um, reception so far. I presented the first half 
uh, the first quarter and the second quarter when I was still in New York before I moved to Hawaii. Hmm. And then COVID hit. So I haven't presented the third quarter of it, and I'm still working on the fourth quarter. So um, eventually we'll get to, to do that, but they, those can be found on my my website or my uh, YouTube page. But I think that Will Whitman himself was a deeply, deeply spiritual man. The words in these poems are all about and finding enlightenment and transcending death and existing. And it's, they're fantastic. I, I recommend anyone to read them. So that's really, it's more like a meditation, you know, because mm. I'm not beholden to any other human. Like in an opera, there's 50 people and everybody has their say. Um, but for these pieces, I just go into my own inner state. And as I memorize the poem, it starts to take on melodies because that's what my brain does. Mm. It's adding the music. Eventually, it's loud enough that I write it down. And then eventually, I, I'm, I'm drafting it and going back and forth and, until it feels like, oh, I don't have to change it anymore. Right, right. I've gotten it, you know, from, from the voice of the poet coming in. That's how it feels. So that's a very personal meditative process. This uh, podcast tr traditionally has a closing question. All right. Uh, which I will try with you. Uh, what should people listen to? <laughs> yeah, people should listen. People should listen. I think people are unaware of how much hearing they're doing. You know, because we're very inundated with sound in our world. And I don't know that people really stop to listen deeply about, you know, listen. Like I'm listening to the wind and and I live in, where birdsong wakes us up in the morning. Um, we go to the ocean. I listen, listen to the ocean. And I'm also listening to all the, you know, traffic and people talking and I teach piano. I hear so many wrong notes in a day. <laughs> you know, that's a wrong note. Fix it, or whatever. It's but I'm listening. I'm not just hearing it. You know, it's a very important part of what I do. Which is maybe why, as a kid, I realized I can hear music because I started listening to that. So, and if music comes from where we suspect it does, it behooves us to listen. Part of that still small voice, right? The places the gift of music will take you, the stories you will tell, the lives you will touch. One little girl, hearing music in her imagination, with but a nudge from her grandmothers, grew to move the world just a little. This is the power of listening.